0: I want to welcome everybody in for uh, actually something we haven't done for a while and that's an on location presentation of the games people play. We are actually uh, someplace uh, very near and dear to our guest uh, as a matter of fact today. We are in Mansfield, Massachusetts and uh, we are at uh, one of my favorite places. I've uh, been here now uh, on uh, what uh, my third trip in here and uh, I've really grown to love it. The chowder, the rest of the menu. We are at Geno's uh, long-standing establishment here. Uh, one of the, uh, the pillars of the Mansfield uh, community uh, since 1981, and here courtesy of uh, the, the owner, John Spizo. We want to we'll give John all the credit for having us here and, uh, and also uh, welcoming in our guest uh, this week. And uh, our guest uh, was uh, the face of the New England Patriots franchise, an iconic figure in New England sports, uh, quarterback of the New England Patriots from 1975 to 1990, and uh, certainly no stranger uh, to uh, where we uh, currently reside in uh, Mansfield here on North Main Street because I uh, would probably be, I'd say, a Steve Grogan throw over the middle to Stanley Morgan would probably connect us with Grogan Marciano Sporting Goods, and I am sporting my Grogan Marciano Sporting Goods t-shirt that I just received courtesy of his son Tyler Grogan. And uh, Steve, we always try to make the, uh, the guests uh, feel at home. I have my Pat Patriot, Vintage like 1960. It. Yes, Vintage 1960 hat on from the beginning of the AFL. And uh, of all the guests that we've had so far in the games people play, uh, this is about as, as home as we can make it, but you are actually in Kansas right now where you spend a good deal of your time uh, in retirement. But uh, you're certainly here in Spirit in Mansfield just down the street from uh, the business that you've had for what, about a quarter century?
1: Yeah, a little over that. Mm
0: -hmm. Indeed, with your son uh, Tyler once again, who played football at Northeastern University. Remember him uh, when I was calling the Harvard games and Harvard uh, playing against Northeastern and just had a chance to visit with him earlier. But uh, Geno's has
1: the best soup in town, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, as advertised.
1: I've missed getting some of that occasionally.
0: We'll we'll see what we can do. I wish we could do a quick takeout for you here today. I just had a bowl of (laughs) chowder to start with.
1: There you go.
0: (laughs) Great soup, great chowder. I'm a big chowder uh, aficionado and uh, chowder connoisseur. and uh, I'll I'll rate them uh, with anybody. I'll rate them the the, the absolute best of the best, the pinnacle of uh, chowder here. Yep. We we take, as you know, as a long-adopted New Englander, we take our chowder seriously, don't we, Steve?
1: You do. And unfortunately, (laughs) I can't eat it because I'm allergic to seafood. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, okay. You you it were done years the- in, in the Boston area with all that great seafood, and I never <laughs> never could
0: eat it. I never could eat it. I'm no. sorry to hear that. I love the seafood, but uh, once again, the soups are award-winning uh, here at Geno's, uh, as uh, as we uh, as we uh, pointed out. So, uh, we are here in Mansfield, and once again, thank you to John Spizzo uh, from the uh, uh, the Geno's establishment uh, where we're doing our program today. Uh, Steve Grogan, once again, 16 years, uh, very much personifies once a Patriot, always a Patriot, a member of the Patriot Hall of Fame, part of their 25th anniversary team, and uh, certainly exhibited everything about toughness, leadership, and his ability at quarterback in leading the New England Patriots uh, over uh, the course of his uh, long career at that position uh, here in New England, his uh, adopted home. Uh, as uh, we always do, Steve, we go back and uh, give an opportunity to get some background uh, for our guests and what their roots are and uh, where they came from, where they started. Uh, in your case, uh, you were actually born San Antonio, Texas, and uh, grew up in Ottawa, Kansas, which uh, I guess would you describe that as a small college town, if you will, with Ottawa University uh, just a couple of blocks from where you were born or where you That's lived?
1: My, uh, my dad was in the uh, Air Force during the Korean conflict. That's where I was born in San Antonio and then spent about six or eight months there. And they moved back to Kansas and dad went back to school at Ottawa University. And I grew up around Ottawa University. I went to all the football and basketball games, went to track meets. It was only two blocks from the house and uh, about 10,000 population in Ottawa. So it was decent size. We are about an hour southwest of Kansas City and uh, just a great great place to grow up
0: you both uh, your mom and dad uh, alums, i believe of ottawa both went to Correct. school there right uh, right in your neighborhood and uh, that gave you an opportunity with the uh, facilities at uh, at ottawa uh, my my research tells me you used to occasionally be able to sneak in the gym and uh, be able to shoot around a little bit over there on the ottawa campus
1: well, we we climbed through some windows occasionally to get into the gym and <laughs> The door was unlocked. We just went in through the door and started playing on the side. And uh, they had intramurals on Saturdays, and we'd shoot at one end while the, the game was going at the other end. And they'd get mad at us occasionally, but we kept going back.
0: And <laughs> it, it indeed, you guys, you, when it's when it's in the blood, it's in the blood. And uh, with you and and uh, athletics, obviously, uh, from a very early age, and uh, then attending uh, Ottawa High School where. You enjoyed success, actually, multiple uh, sports uh, success, uh, Steve, with uh, track, basketball, uh, and football, uh, three sports that you excelled at with a strong core of uh, fellow athletes that you had uh, in in your group in all three sports.
1: Yeah, there was a a group of us that were all the same age, that just loved loved sports, and we were all pretty good athletes. I was not necessarily the best best athlete of the group, uh, but... We had five or six of us who just loved to play basketball. We loved to play football. We all ran track, did those kind of things. Um, it, was, it was a great bunch of guys. And we, we started in the seventh grade together, went all the way through high school, and uh, we had some pretty good success our junior and senior years.
0: Indeed, uh, the uh, track uh, state championship in 1970, basketball in 1971, and uh, in football, uh, you climbed all the way to the, uh, the 3A state championship game, uh, runner-up that year. But uh, certainly uh, a special year, really, really a storybook uh, career in high school for you, if you think back to it.
1: Yeah, it was just a great time. Um, I don't think we realized how special it was until later. But um, you know, we won the basketball championship, the football championship. I dislocated my elbow. Uh, scoring a touchdown early in, early in the second, uh, I guess it was toward the end of the half and was out for the rest of the game. We lost by, I think it was eight points in that game. And then uh, the track titles were a combination of a lot of people coming together and, and uh, getting the job done there. So there aren't too many classes in high school that can say that they've, they've been to the state championships and won a number of them like we had.
0: Indeed. And uh, your background at home, you mentioned your dad in the military, but your dad also, you had that benefit. And, boy, it's, it's remarkable to me how many times that I run into this in the course of uh, getting to know guys and researching and interviews, uh, teacher-coach background for guys that become successful athletes, and, and you're in that category.
1: Yeah, my dad uh, initially when he got out of, out of college there at Ottawa University, he, he purchased a service station in downtown Ottawa, and ran that for a number of years. Um, he played town league softball, church league softball, town team basketball, town team, uh, church league basketball. He was always in a gym and I was always staying along with my brother. And um, my mom was a very good athlete. She would go out in the front yard and pump footballs to us and play catch with us. And so it was a very athletic family. And then my dad, as as I became a, just before I became a junior high student, um, he decided that he wanted to be a teacher and a coach, which is what he'd gone to college for. Uh, that was about the time in the seventies where the gas prices went from 20 cents a gallon to a dollar <laughs> a gallon. And there were lines for gas and tough way to make a living. So. He got his degree went back and and taught and coached uh, and coached for the rest of his career either at junior high and then he he coached at ottawa university the football team while he was teaching at the high school
0: and uh, as far as uh, the recruiting process for you you ended up uh, migrating uh, roughly 100 miles down to manhattan kansas uh, to kansas state what was that experience like for you in terms of uh, being recruited as obviously a, a, a three-sport, a guy that had an impact as a three-sport athlete in high school and had such great success.
1: Yeah, I don't think I really knew, I know I didn't know that I was as good as some people thought I was <laughs> in high school. After my first game in football my senior year, I got a phone call from a coach in Colorado, University of Colorado, um, and when the phone conversation ended, I walked into the Kitchen and my dad said uh, said you're going to a lot of you're going to get a lot of calls like that. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> and I really didn't know what he meant because I had always planned. My plan was to go to Ottawa University and play three sports like I did in high school. And uh, I wasn't sure I was good enough to play in the big time. And then I, I had an uncle that played freshman year at Kansas State and then transferred to Ottawa University, and he talked to me one day and he said, you know, you can always be a big fish in a little pond or you can maybe be a big fish in a big pond. Why don't you go try the K-State? If you don't like it, you can come back home. And so that's what I did. And uh, mm-hmm. things just kept getting better and better for me at K-State and I wound up staying there and uh, we were not good. It was um, It was a struggle. To, to recruit to Manhattan, Kansas, uh, Bill Snyder has done a great job. That's oh, the leading. Amazing. Uh, back when I was there, we we won, we went three and eight, five and six, four and seven, so we didn't have a lot of success. And um, I, I still don't understand why the Patriots decided to take a chance on me, but they did, and <laughs> yeah. things worked out there. So I've I just. Yeah. I've had a lot of good fortune throughout my life for, uh, for things. Cause I remember as a freshman, we had a scrimmage against the varsity. And my folks came up from Ottawa, and I just had the heck beat out of me. Those, those, those upperclassmen were just – we couldn't block them. They were knocking me down and around. I remember getting in the car afterwards with my folks, and I said, you know, I, I want to come home and my dad said no you don't you need to stay here you need to finish this out at least for this semester and then i won the starting job on the freshman team and, and things got better and even during the spring ball uh, coach Vince Gibson was our head coach um, i had worked real hard with one of the assistant coaches on my throwing motions and, and accuracy and coach Gibson walked by me one day and he said uh, you know, I guess we're going to leave you a quarterback. And I said, really? Hmm. Where was I going? And he said, well, we've been talking about moving you to free safety. But we're going to leave you a quarterback. And I'm thinking to myself, if they have moved me to free safety, I was going back home. Back to Ottawa. To play free sports. So <laughs> it just – one thing <laughs> led to another. It just all worked out. I I thank God for everything that, that uh, has happened to me because I certainly – did think it would happen and probably didn't deserve to
0: have it happen. You ended up, you, you ascended to the uh, starting position at quarterback and uh, had a junior year that placed you as a guy that's in the conversation as an NFL prospect. But then, Steve, you had some injury. The first problems with your neck, uh, your senior year, uh, which which uh, held you back to a point that now maybe you weren't going to be it was questions about you being an NFL prospect and maybe being a guy that would have a chance to be drafted and get that opportunity.
1: Right. Yeah. The neck the neck problem was um, something that developed my senior year, and I missed some time and was in and out of games with stingers down my right arm. And um, as I said, I, I'm, I really don't know why the Patriots decided to take a shot on me. They flew me back to Boston, and I saw one of their doctors who ran some tests on my neck and And to be honest with you, he called me in his office at the end and he said, uh, I think what you have, you might want to not continue your football career. It it could be dangerous. Oh, wow. Hmm. And I went back and Coach Fairbanks uh, brought me in his office. He said, how'd it go? I I said, it went great. I I wasn't going to tell him. I figured the doctor (laughs) would tell him anyway. So I said, it went great. I'm I'm real happy. I'm, I'm ready to play football. And. I went home and they, they drafted me and I came in with three veteran quarterbacks on the roster and they're only going to keep two quarterbacks. Uh, Dick Shiner was an older veteran. He retired during training camp. Jim Plunkett got hurt in the last preseason game and suddenly I became the backup to Neil Graff. Hmm. And uh, and I fooled them for 16 years until they finally figured out they made a mistake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. stayed enough under the radar screen. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, really that was uh, a kind of a, a crossroads uh, uh, opportunity for you to come back and uh, you know, I, I read where uh, you came back and it was kind of a clandestine uh, got you into Foxborough and had a chance Bucko Kilroy. I uh, had a chance to evaluate, uh, get involved in the evaluation, the medical clearance, and so forth. In the days of the Internet, it wouldn't have been so clandestine. Who's that quarterback that just came into town? It would have been all over the papers. But oh, at absolutely. that time, you could sneak in and out, Steve, as you did.
1: <laughs> you could do a lot of things that people don't know, wouldn't know about today, but uh, <laughs> we won't go that way. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, they, they checked you out, and uh, you mentioned uh, we're going to obviously talk a lot about Chuck Fairbanks and uh, the opportunity to play for him. Uh, Chuck, of course, came from great success at Oklahoma, Kansas State. Uh, familiarity in a couple of ways. One, being in the same conference in the Big Eight, and also familiarity in uh, the offensive philosophy. He was, uh, he was an option guy. You had experience yep. running the ball, high school, college, etc. cetera. So that was certainly played in nicely.
1: It did. It, it suited my skills. I was a pretty good runner. Uh, it was a survival instinct I developed at K-State.
0: <laughs> running for your life.
1: Yeah, running for my life. And, um, you know, I was hoping just to hang around during training camp and maybe somebody take a, a shot on me when they cut me uh, or go to Canada and maybe play for a few years. But uh, as I said, they, they kept me as the backup to Plunkett and he, well, backup to Neil Graff. Neil Graff played four or five games and didn't play well. They put me in against the Jets. Down at Shea Stadium late in the game in a blowout, and I uh, threw a touchdown pass to Russ Francis. And the next day they activated Plunkett, cut Graf, and suddenly I became the backup to Heisman Trophy winner. Mm. And uh, two weeks later he hurt himself again, and I was starting in the NFL.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> and who would ever figured it?
0: <laughs> All of a sudden,
1: there you Not are. Not me, that's
0: for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been the last guy on, on, yeah. on that in that line. Uh, ended up starting seven of the last eight games that year. You played in thirteen of the fourteen. You, your memories about your uh, your first win out in San Diego. Anything immediately come to mind when you think about that game? You, you you had a solid game to get that first of what was many wins in a Patriots uniform.
1: We had a we had a good game out there. I don't recall a heck of a lot of it. I do recall that that Jets game that I went into. Um, I remember standing on the sideline during the national anthem and I looked across the field and there was Joe Namath on the sidelines and I'm thinking to myself, wow, <laughs> I'm on the same field with Joe Namath. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, throwing the first touchdown pass of my career to Russ Francis was pretty special. Um, and then the rest of my rookie year is kind of a blur. It just, there was a lot <laughs> of learning that had to take place. I, I wasn't a great thrower of the ball like I mentioned earlier, so I was running around doing things that, that I was comfortable with. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Coach Fairbanks didn't mind that. Um, it just it helped work things out. Gave me time. My running ability bought me time to, to learn the passing game of the NFL. And and I'm very proud that I could switch from a runner to a passer later in my career. Mm-hmm. A lot of so, guys had a, trouble with that transition.
0: It, it, indeed, that you uh, you adapted Adapted to survive. Big big part of your story, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Patriots story, and for uh, members of at least one generation, I'd say one generation plus, they think of the Patriots as what they are now, marquee, flagship, franchise, nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl championships. But actually, when you look back to the beginnings of your career and what we're going to talk about now, which was uh, the ascent of the Patriots, 1976, uh, this was all very much uh, new territory for the Patriots to be mentioned among the NFL elite. But three outstanding drafts will take care of that, Steve. And yep. the 1976 season proved to be a very, very special one. And uh, I'm sure you've got some fond memories of uh, of that. And uh, g- g- if you give us a little bit of perspective of what it was like before we talk about some of the specifics, but what it was like going into that season. Was there a feeling that, we're about to take a step forward here, and people are going to take notice of us.
1: Well, I think we all realized we had a, a really good draft, and we're, we're getting some talented guys in. But but draft picks, you're not sure how soon they're going to contribute, how quickly they're going to be a part of the process. I remember giving a couple of talks to different groups back home during the off season, and we started the season playing um, – four playoff teams from 1975. And I told people if we could win one of them and get by that, we might be okay. And what we wound up doing was actually winning three out of four of those games. And uh, we were off to the races. We were doing things we didn't know we were supposed to do. And we had a great bunch of young guys with some older veterans to to give us leadership. And uh, it was just a fun year to, to be a Patriot football player.
0: That gauntlet that you mentioned, and I had to go back and check. I I remembered a little bit. But you opened the season, you had a loss to the Colts. But this is really, this is the NFL elite. This is the blue bloods of the NFL, let alone the AFC. Week two, you defeat Miami, you throw three touchdown passes, no picks. Pittsburgh, the defending Super Bowl champions, that game, you come back from down 11 in Three Rivers Stadium to beat to beat the Steelers, that in itself caused people around the NFL to, it was kind of like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Steve, who are these guys?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, that was a, a really neat game to be playing the, the reigning Super Bowl champions. Uh, actually, I still have, uh, after the game, Art Rooney, who was friendly with Billy Sullivan. They were, they were both Irish guys. Uh, Art Rooney smoked these really big cigars, and he he gave one to Mr. Sullivan after the game as kind of a uh, <laughs> good luck with the rest of you, you know, rest yeah. of your year, I think. Yep. And Mr. Sullivan gave that cigar to me as I was combing my hair, getting dressed, and I still <laughs> have that in my office here at home, <laughs> up on top of a picture. That, that's how special that game was. <laughs> wow,
0: still haven't smoked it. It's vintage. You
1: no. Know, it's, oh, it's a keeper right there.
0: Absolutely, that that's a that's a great uh, memento. Red Red Auerbach would have smoked it a long time ago. But that's, oh, sure, you know, yeah, <laughs> And then of course, uh, fateful as uh, we would say uh, in the at th- this point in the proceedings of uh, if this was a play, uh, the the harbinger of things to come. The following week, after knocking off Miami and Pittsburgh, the Oakland Raiders visit Foxborough and uh, they went home, I think, uh, a little bit uh, battered uh, and embarrassed and uh, and and bloodied by the Patriots, 48 to 14. Uh, you threw for three and you ran for two in that game. Uh, doesn't get much better than that. Just not just from the personal, obviously personally, your contribution, but the fact that uh, you really dominated that Raider team, and which would turn out to be their only regular season loss of the
1: year. All right, Yep. Yeah. Actually, they only lost that year. They wound up winning the Super Bowl. So that's right. Overall, yep. That was that was a huge win. And then, uh, you know, we, we kind of had a letdown the next week against Detroit. And they beat us in Detroit, which shouldn't have happened. But uh, we got it back on track. But to win three of those first four was really pretty special for us. And I think that's when we all realized that we had a pretty good team. And everybody better watch out for us because we we were going to do some damage.
0: Got to ask you about one play in that game, which has become the stuff of legend. I guess as a quarterback, you can sometimes keep the team, even in the huddle, on a (laughs) need-to-know basis. There was a bootleg call that you made in that game where uh, not everybody needed to know what you were going to (laughs) do.
1: No, that happened. uh, I did that a number of times throughout my career. I, I we ran the ball so well that, that, you know, people were always trying to cheat to, to beat the running backs to the hole. Mm. And I I always knew that if I was going to run the bootleg off of one of those sweeps, that if I told the lineman what I was doing, um, they would probably block a little differently because they, they knew that we weren't really trying to get yards on the, on the strong side. Mm. So the only person I would tell was usually the, wide receiver on the weak side and just he ran off he ran off his guy and, and then started blocking him and and I would uh, bootleg it around there and <laughs> Right. just I just hope that everybody was chasing the supposed to be ball carrier, but it, it was it was one of the plays that people remember me by it was the old bootleg. <laughs> it,
0: it indeed worked work well that day and worked well many many days during the course yeah. of your career. And uh, had a 100 yard game, uh, Jets, the big stage, uh, Monday night football. Uh, what do you remember about uh, Grogan's Heroes? Not Hogan's Heroes, but they became <laughs> Grogan's Heroes, were the cult following of fans uh, down at Schaefer Stadium in Foxborough at that time.
1: Yeah, that was kind of cool. Uh, I had never even thought about how that would be worded differently than the TV show, but. Um, it was pretty cool, and there were a lot of fans that were making T-shirts up and doing various things like that for Brogan yep. t Rose. It was, it was kind of a neat thing for a second-year guy in the league that probably shouldn't have been there, but um, <laughs> it was really nice.
0: And uh, you mentioned that we'll, we'll we'll get to the uh, to the season and how the, the rest of that season played out. But probably a good time to ask this question. Mention about New England and uh, being transplanted from a you know, relatively small town middle America right in the heart of middle America you can't uh, get any more than Kansas the adjustment to coming to Boston and somewhat demanding uh, Boston sports fans they can they can be rough at times uh, you know they, they love when they're on your side but sometimes they can be uh, a little bit a little bit harsh what about your adjustment to culturally coming here and also to the fans and and the and the fandom that was following the Patriots at the time
1: uh, culturally, it was a little different. The traffic was a whole lot heavier than we had in Manhattan, Kansas, where I went to college, or even Ottawa, where I grew up. Right. Uh, that took some getting used to. My, my roommate my first two years was Mike Patrick, our punter, hmm. and uh, he was from Mississippi. So we were both kind of small-town guys, small-state guys. Uh, we, we rented a house in uh, Weymouth, you no, know, Braintree, our first year and had to fight the, the traffic on 128 and 95 oh. every day. And so the second year we found a, a place in Sherburn, which was a little farther away but the traffic on the back roads wasn't as bad. Uh, I, I guess the, the funniest story I can tell about the cultural change Back here in, in Kansas, when people drive by each other, they wave, they, you know, it's just, that's natural. <laughs> that. They're coming the other way, you wave, they wave. And if you go to the grocery store and you need some help, you just ask the person next to you, well, I found out in my rookie year that you don't talk to people in the grocery store. They're getting what they want to get and they're not going to help you. And, and, I finally figured out if, if they realized that I was serious, that I wasn't just trying to be a jerk, yeah. that they, they would be very helpful. But you had to break that barrier down first, mm-hmm. which you didn't have to do in the Midwest. But once you broke the barrier down, they could be just as friendly as as anybody out here.
0: <laughs> that That's a great observation. You know, myself, having grown up and spent my entire life here in, in, in greater Boston, when I go to the Midwest, I'm always amazed at how friendly people are. Big smile, friendly, and it's always like, is he trying to put something over on me? You're always a little little suspicious.
1: That's the New England mentality right there. Exactly. I get, you know, stay out
0: of the frozen foods. Leave me alone, you know. There you go. The the, the grocery store. But uh, that that year, uh, just to put it in perspective, uh, the the Patriots, uh, obviously, the ascent of the Patriots, very physical style team. Most ever wins. You finished the regular season eleven and three. Uh, You personally twelve rushing touchdowns. And uh, in that final game, you set the all-time NFL rushing record for touchdowns for a quarterback. Was held by Tobin Rote and Johnny Lujak. That's how far back. Since broken by, I believe Cam Newton. It took a long time for Cam Newton to break that record. That one stood for a while, Steve.
1: He he broke it, and there's about. Seven or eight other guys that are going to break his record. So there's the a lot game of candidates. Is changing back to a running quarterback game, which is kind of neat. Yep, I Amazing. enjoy watching
0: that. It ab- ab- absolutely is going to say certainly relatable for you. And uh, the first, once again, perspective—the first winning season for the Patriots since 1966, first playoff season since their one and only playoff season to that point had been 1963. And uh, wouldn't you know it, your playoff opponent was the Oakland Raiders, and uh, you were going to be going on the road to play the Raiders at uh, the uh, infamous atmosphere of the Oakland-Alameda County Coliseum. And uh, your thoughts uh, coming in, we talked about this about 10 years ago when I was doing the you know, the most memorable games in Patriots history, but uh, what what do you remember as far as the tone, uh, Coach Fairbanks, and uh, the fact that you had had success against them in Foxborough? Now you were going cross country and it was a, it was an elimination. It was a one and done situation yeah. to move on.
1: I think we were very confident in, in our yeah. ability. We'd had such a great season. Um, we ran the ball extremely well with that team. Our defense played well. Uh, we got there for the workout the day before the game. And we, we realized that uh, apparently Al Davis had informed his grounds crew not to cut the grass. And they had watered it to slow the field down, to slow us down. And they were trying everything. And, uh, you know, we were writing the game the whole way. We made a couple of mistakes that, that hurt us. And then we got the bad call on the roughing the passer to Ray Hamilton. And Had that been a different call on that play, we, uh, we probably would have been the first team Patriot team to go to the Super Bowl because mm. um, the opponents that the Raiders played, Pittsburgh, they were all banged up, only had one running back, and Minnesota was in the Super Bowl and they they never beat anybody in the Super Bowl, so
0: still haven't. You know they still
1: haven't, so <laughs> it could have been a great year, could have, should have, would have, but it wasn't meant to be. Mm.
0: Team that uh, broke forty three records that year. And uh, turned around, nice symmetric from three and eleven to eleven and three. You mentioned the the rushing attack, absolutely dominant. And uh, going back and and I had a chance to look at the films relative to that game. Uh, brace yourself. We had Phil Valipiano on the program recently, so.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. So,
0: so, so this is so this is giving us both sides of the aisle, if you will,
1: having the yeah, chance to talk there, to you. It's a whole a whole lot different than mine.
0: It, it it indeed, but but you watch the film of that game, and once again, for uh, younger followers of the games, people play that might be that need a history lesson here. The hitting level, uh, the in that game, the physicality in that game. Not only would they be throwing flags today, Steve. I think they would have been arrests. <laughs>
1: that's highly possible uh, I, it was vicious I, I, man I, You I know, know it, it the russ francis our great tight end um Villapiano threw an elbow at, at russ's head it went through his face mask and broke his nose he had blood coming out everywhere and uh he went to the sidelines for treatment and I think it was Steve Nelson and Steve Zabel, two of our linebackers started screaming at him about coming out of the game just because he had a bloody nose. <laughs> Get in they, there. They grabbed some cotton and stuck it up in there and got him back on the field. And uh, Another great story. Uh, Russ used to go back to Hawaii where he grew up uh, most of his time. And of course he was a pilot and uh, he came back to the camp the year after the playoff loss to the Raiders. He said uh, he ran into villipiano in Hawaii while he was over there vacationing and uh, they had a beer and shook hands and made amends hmm. and Russ invited Phil and his wife to take a, a sightseeing tour in his airplane the next day. <laughs> Russ said he flew he him over Pearl Harbor, he flew him over Diamond Head, had him all, all over and he got over a I don't know where it was, an active volcano on one of the islands. And he tipped the plane to the side and reached across and tried to push the door open, and said, Get out of the plane, you son of a gun. And he said, Pianó left fingerprints in the dashboard. The wife in the back was scratching Russ's back. <laughs> he finally tipped the plane back up and said, We're even. <laughs> That's
0: right. Uncle, admitted. Yep. I- you know, that, that's, that's such a great story. Phil was was, uh, it alluded to that, and uh, it, it just the circumstances of the game. Phil claims that the the grappling and the sparring, for lack of a better term, between Volippiano and Francis was so bad that the officials finally said, "Hey, we're not throwing any more flags on you. You guys are on your own." And as it turns out, exactly what happened with that fateful play with Vilippiano you know, literally tackling. Francis with no call at the end of the game, which would have right. got the first down.
1: Yeah, I remember that. Yep, I had heard that about the officials before, but I, I couldn't um, verify it. Yep,
0: you, you guys were up uh, twenty-one to ten after the third quarter, and uh, then you know the, uh, the the Raiders coming back and uh, got the game to twenty-one seventeen. Also, you know one of those the plays that uh, that you come back to uh, on the cadence the opportunity where you were looking to get the Raiders to jump right into the, the game. And you tried to switch the cadence and well, you can obviously can fill in the blanks there, but it turns out it kind of went the other way for you guys.
1: Yeah. I, I think I made a big mistake on trying to do that. The guys were were all keyed up. They were ready to come off the ball and, and go. And I, I tried to get cute and uh, hmm. get the Raiders to jump off sides. And that was a big mistake on my part. We, we jumped and, Moved it back five yards and and uh, didn't make the first down. I think we had to wind up kicking a field goal, if I remember mm. right. But um, I'll take the blame for that one. Mm.
0: Interesting to note there, uh, also. And once again, for uh, for the younger fans of the games, people play. You were entrusted to call your own plays for the most part in your career,
1: correct? Starting with uh, Ron Earhart, when he took over for Fairbanks, he let me call my own place for two years. Yep. And then uh, they took the responsibility back uh, the third year, and we went 2-14, and 14, and they all got fired. And then <laughs> Raymond Berry, uh, when I went in for an injured Eason in 85, allowed me to call my plays. And the following year, he allowed me to call him for Tony or whichever quarterback was on the field. And I did that for three years. And uh, and then they decided the coaches need to do that. And uh, I think we went nine and six and they all got fired. And that was the last <laughs> time I called the plays.
2: <laughs> was the last time.
1: But
0: that was a phenomenon once again uh, that uh, I think that football fans today would be amazed. Everything is so automated. But. It wish, just, yeah, it was just know.
1: so much help to walk in the huddle and, you yeah. and know, third and three, I could look at John Hanna or Pete Brock or one of the offensive linemen who knew what the defensive line was doing. I'd say, we need three yards. What do you guys recommend? Mm. And they'd give me a play. And if they gave me a play, they knew they better make it work.
2: Mm.
1: So uh, a huge advantage. I could look at Stanley Morgan and say, can you get the in route or can you get the, yeah. Corner route yet, and he'd go, no, not yet. Let me set him up. Later in the game, he'd walk in the huddle. He'd say that uh, corner route's ready to go. Whenever mm-hmm. you need it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: coaches couldn't get that feedback that I was getting in the huddle. So Absolutely. it was a knack I had, and something I really enjoyed doing.
0: Yeah, and once again, only the players know that. You know that you can you can talk to your receivers, say, hey, that corner's Absolutely. ready to bite. You know, I can I can go hook and I can go deep. That type of thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, 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 absolutely. And, uh, well, you know, the, the rest was history and uh, for about, I guess, 25 years, if you were a Patriots fan, your, your memories of that particular, the, the, the Ray Hamilton, everybody, this is like the Zapruder film of football, Steve, when you think about uh, the perspective, but your perspective on that play, you know, once again, uh, 57 seconds left and uh, the Raiders that look at the drive is about to stall. They were at the 27-yard line of the Patriots at the time, and then the call is made. But did you have a good look at it from the sideline? Was it did you At the time, were you as astounded as maybe when you went back and looked at the film and say, man, that was a horrible call?
1: I think we all thought it was a horrible call initially. Right. Uh, and, and then when you go back and look at it, even today, the rules have changed from those days. Today, it definitely probably would have been a call because his, his right. arm went across Stabler's chest near the head. Okay, you call that today, but back in those days, golly, you used to get hammered all the time after you Gosh. threw the ball or as you were throwing the ball. It didn't matter whether it was high, low, or in between. But they never called the roughing the passer. Yeah. So that's what made it even more disappointing.
0: Your, your memories of what is going to be some I would suspect some maybe the most bitter of your career of one any one game of the aftermath the, the immediate aftermath of that game and and, and uh, what, what what that was like for you and and for a very as you mentioned a very close-knit group that you had that
1: year yeah it was tough to take and actually uh, I think uh, a lot of people had a hard time taking it. I know the officials, as they left the locker room, had to have a police escort, Uh, and I know that because the back judge uh, happened to be the father of my backup at Kansas State, so I knew him pretty well. Oh, really? We don't talk before the game. We never talked after the game. I saw him come out of the locker room, and I started over just to say hi, ask how his son was doing. And I got surrounded by three cops before I could even get close to him. They thought I was going after him. <laughs> they just assumed after, the worst. Yeah, he finally came over. And he saw what was happening. He came over. He had a chat. But um, it just it just was one of those games that the officials had a hand in, and they shouldn't have had a hand in it, hmm. in our Ra- opinion. Yeah. The Raiders are arguing with you all day about it, but.
2: Yeah,
0: no, it, it, it absolutely what might have been. But as far as the the transformation, if you will, to maybe the very earliest days of the seeds being planted for Patriot Nation and what's happened the last 20 years, you, you did have quite a reception at Logan Airport. It made me think back to some of the other receptions that Boston sports history, the, the Red Sox coming back from their big yeah. trip in 67. But your memories about that, that must have really shocked you guys. Well,
1: Craziest thing—we we got back to Logan Airport and uh, started. There were people in the in the uh, terminal, and then we we were running away from people in the parking garage, <laughs> trying to get out of there. It was and it was, geez, it had to be two or three o'clock in the morning, and there were people everywhere <laughs> to greet us. And it was, it was kind of a, a neat deal that they would show up like that. Um, yeah. but. We also thought that there would be other chances and, hmm. and uh, those other chances just never came along until 8'5. And by then a lot of those great players were gone. Hmm.
0: F- following that, your record as a starter, once again, just a, a testament to your prowess. Uh, 41 and 20, 30 and 17, 41 and 20, 76 to 79, you were an Iron Man. You started every game. You had your uh, your best season statistically, 1979, with almost 3,300 yards and uh, led the NFL in touchdown passes with 28. You put up some big numbers uh, that year. You mentioned about adapting uh, the way that you did. And uh, that 78 was a year in between. But then 1978, uh, ground Chuck was back and setting records again with your running attack and what you provided in the passing attack and, and, and your weapons to get back to the playoffs. But – once again, to a generation that only knows the Patriots as the, the Patriots of dominance, strange things happen in Patriot history. And <laughs> uh, I think that's... And uh, people
1: have written a lot of books about those things. <laughs> exactly. That's about, you
0: know, like Hollywood Babylon, Steve. But, yeah. but the way that that 78 season came down, I mean, you're on your way to winning the AFC East. And then there was a slight controversy involving the head coach. I mean, you as the quarterback of that team your memories about that. When did you first find out about what was going on in the midst of this great run, playoff run, maybe redemption from 1976, and then all of a sudden you would say, oh, by the way, there's is an issue with our head coach here.
1: <laughs> yeah, we were down in Miami, and, and there were rumors that started around in the, in the hotel, as I recall, uh, that Chuck Fairbanks was, was leading the team uh, to go to Colorado and coach. And then uh, they called us up, called us down for a team meeting late in the afternoon. It was, a, it was a night game. And they called us down and informed us that Coach Fairbanks had been relieved of his duties right before a big game, week before the playoffs, two weeks before, whatever it was. And then we went to the stadium and we had two co-head coaches that night, Ron Earhart and Hank Bola. And they each gave their own uh, pep talk before the game. And it was just a really strange thing. You know, we, we had enough trouble beating Miami and Miami for years and years and years. that We didn't need that to happen, number one. And number two, we really didn't need Chuck to leave. He was a really good coach, had some great assistants, mm. and and really was a guy that that could have taken us – back to the to the glory that we were looking for but he had some uh, run-ins and diff- different opinions of the sullivan's that they had in Colorado and then got out of coaching eventually
0: and actually once again only the patriots we could say for that time period he was actually brought back to coach the playoff game the playoff. Against yeah. the, against the bum, you know, Bum and Earl, the Bum and Earl show came to town with the Oilers, <laughs> and, and and on and of course on New Year's, you know, once the symmetry, Happy New Year, New Year's Eve, Fairbanks gets reinstated to coach what became the first ever home playoff game for the Patriots, and right. how the sound was that for you? All of a sudden, meet the you know like the who, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, he's back.
1: <laughs> it was it was strange, it was really strange, And if you. It, One more strange thing that that only happened in New England. The week before the Miami game, we clinched the division title against, I can't remember who it was. San Diego. But the crowd, who was it? Was it San Diego? It might have been. Yep. It might have been. But anyway, the the crowd stormed the field. Somebody stepped on Harold Jackson's foot and broke his toe. So he was – he was kind of limping around for the game in Miami and the uh, playoff game. But the real thing was that they tore down the metal goalposts,
2: hmm.
1: carried them out of the stadium, down Route 1, and ran into a power line and got electrocuted oh, and sued the Patriots because they shouldn't have let him out with the goalposts. <laughs>
0: Now, where does that happen anywhere but New England? I was going to say only in New England. Yeah. And it really just tarnished a, a great run. You did five in a row uh, down the stretch, uh, seven seven in a row at one point that year, rallying back. I, yeah. I got to bring up, see if you remember this one game. I was looking at I was looking at the tape. If, if this maybe stands as if you remember this game as maybe your best as far as comeback but the game against San Diego you brought him 74 yards to score the winning touchdown if you recall that game but i watched the drive and it was absolutely brilliant in terms of your playmaking ability and that drive it was amazing
1: is that right i, yep. Didn't, honestly, that I you
0: you'll take my word for it
1: All right. i'll try to find that and watch it tonight
0: find that one on youtube at uh, another big one against oakland that year too that you came back and and nipped those raiders and a late drive against buffalo and uh, Actually, unfortunately, in that game, the New Year's even the playoff, you actually missed some time with a knee injury in that game.
1: Yeah, yep. I uh, I started having trouble with my left knee. I think before the playoff game, and thought I could get through it. I I couldn't make it through, so they uh, they had to pull me out, and I had surgery a couple weeks later.
0: <laughs> only only NFL team with uh, four rushers. 500 plus yards, and, and you were one of them from the quarterback position. Yeah. Just amazing in terms of being able to ground it and pound it, and good good chance for us to uh, address that offensive line that you played behind for most of your career. How about that? Was there a better left side? Maybe the Raiders would dispute it when they'd say Upshar and, and Shell, but for your money, would you take Hannah and Gray, Steve?
1: Hannah and then Gray, I would take every day. Sure. They were uh, quite a twosome. Um, both from the south, and loved to play football, but John was the intense guy, and Leon was, he played intensely, but off the field, he was like a giant baby. Uh, John scared the heck out of you every time he walked by you, but uh, that was that was how he got ready to play. So those guys along in there, and then we had Bill Linkitersen, and I think Pete Block was sharing some time with him at center. And Sam Adams was a guard that didn't get as much recognition as he should have gotten. And and I think it was Shelby Jordan playing the right tackle. And,
0: That's right. Uh, yep. Shelby Jordan.
1: Shelby did a great job for us that year. We set the, the rushing record that was beaten last year by uh, uh, the Ravens. By the Ravens. Yep. And, uh, they basically, the only way they broke it was because their quarterback Ran like crazy. He had over a 1,000 yards, didn't he, I think, yep. last Le- year? Lamont Le- 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 Jackson, yep. Yeah. Well, I, That was a record I never thought would be broken again because people weren't running the ball anymore. But now you have these quarterbacks coming back into the game that can run and throw and, and do it all, and uh, coaches are letting them do it. Hmm. Yep. I That's like it.
2: it. Yeah,
0: the, the, absolutely. Once again, very much familiar to you and, and success that you had. Uh, one other, only the Patriots – 1980, 10-6 was the final. Your people would go look in the record book and say, oh, they ten and 6 They had a pretty good year. They missed the playoffs. But the way that you missed the playoffs, how many months during the offseason were you guys talking to yourselves? You come into that last game, you got a 91% chance of making the playoffs. Four different – like a game show. Four different scenarios, and you were in the playoffs. And once again, a very good Patriot team that year. Didn't get a chance to play in the postseason. And uh, I saw a quote from you about that season and and, uh, the type of year you were having. And once again, welcome to New England. I think it particularly hurts you. You had a knee injury after a great start that year. And as you said uh, very dryly, it's really too bad because I got the fans back on my side again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who did we play? I don't even remember who we played. Well, you won the final
0: game against the Saints, and then it was about four different scenarios. And all you needed was one. Yeah, It all went the other It was like you were at the, the, the table in Vegas, and it all went the other way.
1: way. Yeah, only the Patriots. <laughs> just, and, and you try not to believe those things, but the more they happen, the more you really wondered <laughs> <laughs> what it was all about, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. The, 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 the curse, the curse. And uh, one of your best games that year uh, at the – you remember the game at the Astrodome? Coming all almost all the way back, you threw for almost 400 yards, 374 in that game, all the way to uh, to the final play with 35 seconds, where you guys almost pulled it out. Do you, any memories of that game? I went I went back and looked at that one also to get ready for you today.
1: Yeah, I think it was a Monday night game, if I'm not if I'm mm-hmm. mistaken, and uh, it was a battle down there in the uh, in the dome. Uh, they had some really good players at the time, as did we, and. They wound up I think they wound up winning it would you say by three
0: 38 34 but you, you just Four. went wild in the second yeah. half and bringing the Patriots all the way back
1: yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that, that was my luck sometimes you know mm-hmm.
2: all, all the way back if I didn't have
1: bad luck I wouldn't have bad I wouldn't have any luck
0: <laughs> exactly BB B. King there you go yeah yeah bad, no, no luck at all. Also, one other game from that, uh, once again, another one of those strange Patriots seasons, 7-2 and two to 8-6 and six to 10-6 and six to, uh, To as we mentioned about uh, uh, missing the playoffs, you could have gone from number one seed or out of the playoffs, you ended up out of the playoffs. It's kind of like Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know. <laughs> New Cadillac, you know, steak knives, you know. There you go. Uh, yep. You guys got the steak knives. But that game, December, talking about Monday Night Football, December 8, 1980, and – the Dolphins, Monday night football. And uh, obviously it's a night that it it transcended football because of what happened in New York city that night, but a Uh, game that a block field goal to overtime and your memories of, you know, yet again, it had to be the Patriots playing that night with uh, something that really kind of tore the world asunder with the cultural figure that John Lennon was.
1: Yeah. I, uh, Somebody—it was the anniversary of John Lennon's death.
0: 40th anniversary. Yep, yep. coming up.
1: A couple, December 8th. Weeks ago, yep. and, and they part of what they sent was uh, some film from the game with uh, John Smith, our kicker, getting ready to go out and kick a field goal. Hmm. And of course, John was from England From Lennon. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember knowing about that until the game was over with. Hmm. And uh, I wasn't a big Beatles fan, so I. Hmm. I didn't realize what a big deal it was, but it was just a shame that anybody would shoot a celebrity like that. And it made you wonder what, what's wrong with the population when somebody would do that.
0: And as you mentioned, John Smith was a great find for the Patriots and the you got oh, an, English kicker, an English kicker named John that was kicking that had the field goal blocked at the end of the game. Once again, only the Patriots. <laughs> That's our theme for today <laughs> Just, just amazing. Just absolutely amazing.
1: Uh, had about twenty more years of that kind of stuff until you can talk about all the great things they've been
0: doing. It, 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 it <laughs> indeed, it, it, it indeed. Uh, things started to catch up as they inevitably do for, uh, particularly at that position and uh, particularly in that era. As we've talked about the physicality, uh, multiple injury issues that you that you had to deal with, uh, and once again, uh, role reversal. You you had a career where you started from all sides, 1983. Now the Patriots draft Tony Eason. Uh, he's a first-round pick, and the uh, situation for you was, was altered at that point. Um, you had many battles, positional battles, from your first year. Then you were established for a number of years, but now was a whole do, a whole different type of battle for you later in your career with uh, Tony Eason coming on the, on the scene. Yeah. Uh,
1: Tony was the number one pick in that draft class. that had, what was it, six quarterbacks in the first round, Um, Tony had talent. Uh, He he was very skilled at the position. He didn't have the burning desire to be great, I I didn't think, but I got along well with it. And I got benched, he got benched, I got benched, he got hurt, I got hurt. We went back and forth for for quite a while there. And uh, and then uh, I stuck around and he moved on and I haven't seen him Early
0: at all sense. One, one, other game of note uh, in Patriots history, NFL history. It's another one that put on uh, the NFL Network and uh, two in the morning, and they may be showing it. And uh, of course, uh, that was the snowball game, on oh, yeah. December twelfth, nineteen eighty-two. You were right in the middle of that one, and uh, bringing John Smith down in a position to uh, under horrific conditions to try to uh, to boot that field goal. Uh, your memories of that game, you know, once again, only the Patriots could have been playing Don Shuler in that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, um, it was a game that, that was going to, we felt like was going to uh, turn on turnovers. And we were trying not to make any turnovers. And we kept giving the ball to Mosi Tutupu, who who would have figured that a guy from Samoa that grew up in Hawaii and went to school in Southern California would be the best <laughs> running back in the snow. But he was, and we Mm -hmm. just kept running him left and right. And and late in the game, we got down in there. What a lot of people don't realize is John had cleared out where he wanted to kick from seven yards from the, from the ball. And uh, the guy that was supposed to go down the line. And I was the one that coach Meyer told me to run down there and tell him to go clear the line Mm -hmm. so that our blockers could have footing, uh, he took it upon himself to, to swerve back, and he he cleared out a place at six yards instead of seven yards, mm. which meant you got a kicker who, kickers are very superstitious. You got a kicker kicking a yard closer to the line of scrimmage than he's used to. Uh, fortunately, John was a, a pretty hard-headed guy and didn't let things like that bother him. And he, he made the kick. And, and Shula was mad. And when we went back to Miami for the season ender down there, they had a snow plow in the end zone and a, a pile of snow, or maybe it was ice. I don't know what, but it was it was down there as a reminder that uh, they felt like they got screwed. It,
0: it was it was Miami, so it was probably ice from somebody's drink that probably. they probably yeah, <laughs> that, that they that they'd be they'd be ready to stir. But that that's right, I that was what I I saw was you were actually the one. Uh, you made the call to the bullpen. You were able to get Mark Henderson to go, go down and get him, and call in, call in the left hander, call in the snowplow. You know, there you, go. you know. And uh, I'm not going to speculate. I, well, I guess I will speculate on. Uh, we re, obviously football recently lost a lot of lost a lot of people in sports this year. A lot of iconic figures. But Don Shula passed away. Steve, I'm going to speculate that his last words might have been. That freaking snowplow. I think that might have been
2: right as as
0: he expired, because I don't think he ever got away, got over that. There was rule changes. He was the rules committee guy the next year. And and that was just another, you know, once again, another event in Patriots history.
1: Well, he opened up a Shula's Steakhouse in Providence uh, probably 15 years ago, maybe. Hmm. And I was invited along with a couple other guys, Steve Nelson. And and, uh, we all went down there, and this had to have been 20 years after the snowplow game and he still talked about it the whole night at dinner down there. So he definitely never forgot it. Never got
0: over that. Absolutely never got over it. Uh, And really the, 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 the final moment of note in, in, in your career was uh, again, you know, the, a, a renaissance, you know, once again, as the Phoenix, you rose again. And we're talking about the 1985 season and here you are roughly a decade later, it's a whole, basically a whole different cast of characters with just a couple of exceptions that were holdovers right. that had missed out. You know, the Patriots, one of those missing ring teams, if you will, from the mid-70s. But uh, a team that, uh, <laughs> under Raymond Berry and uh, kind of a new feeling, very slow start that year. And uh, Tony Eason, at 2-3, and three goes to the bench. Your thoughts when Raymond Berry all of a sudden said, uh, hey, hey there, old timer, put down the clipboard. You're my, you're my man again. And, you know, Raymond, Raymond put you, Raymond, the guy that worked with Johnny Unitas said, give me the yeah. veteran.
1: He's, he sent me on the field and he said, I think your best chance of success is to call your own plays. And I started doing that. I, f- I think I fumbled the first snap. Yes. We, I we saw fumbled, that. But yeah. After that, we, uh, we got things back on track and, and I kind of, when Tony was in there, we threw the ball a lot more. I loved the running game. So, when I went back in there, I was trying to get these guys to run the ball more, run a lot more play-action passes, and it seemed to suit the players we had on that team that year, and we got on a roll and got a lot of confidence going. Our defense played extremely well that year, and, uh, you know, we I, I rode it for six games, and then I got rolled up on and broke my leg, and Tony mm-hmm. came back in, and... Took us through the playoffs and uh, into the Super Bowl, and we got to the Super Bowl finally. <laughs> we don't like to remember a lot about it, but we got to the Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and once again, the way you got there, the gauntlet that you ran uh, down to Miami—you know, every every game had a theme. It was this: you, you squished the fish, yep. and then and then it was uh, well. Actually, it started with the Jets. It started with your 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 most heated rival. You all on the road as a wild card. Never happened before. The Jets nope. squished the fish in Miami, and then uh, the the revenge by the Bay. You were obviously you were inactive, but there must have been as uh, one of the veteran members, face of the franchise, must have been particularly a good feeling to have vanquished the Raiders on that afternoon.
1: It was pretty special, and that yeah. uh, that was just a great game. We we uh, pretty much dominated them. We we had forced turnovers on special teams and and things like that that uh, kept us in the lead. Uh, And it was nice to beat them down there. And if you're writing a book about crazy things that happened with the Patriots, that's the day that Matt Millen hit Pat Sullivan, the general manager, punched him on the way into the locker room. (laughs) Pat had to get stitches in his eye or his head or something. Yeah, I mean... this just doesn't happen to other teams. It just no. doesn't happen. <laughs> no. It did. It just another day at the office. The assistant. Absolutely. Manager, yeah. A of the family, the owner. Yeah. He gets hit but by But winning the that game in Miami, that was really special because we had one there in 20-some oh. tries. And hmm. and to go down there and dominate them the way we had dominated them, uh, it was really cool. Hmm.
0: Mention about the, the Super Bowl. and We won't say much about it, but uh, yeah. Tony – Tony started slowly. You came in, actually had a pretty respectable game. You brought the Patriots to their only, only touchdown in the game. Um, I just got to ask you, the, 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 the operative question here is, of course, I mean, they're going to be talking as long as they talk about football, about the 46 defense for that one season for the Bears.
1: Right, yep.
0: What about your thoughts when you think back to facing that defense You faced a lot of defenses over a lot of years, but uh, was that one you'd put right in the Pantheon?
1: Oh, there's no question that was the best one I ever saw. It uh, was, yep. They had a lot of talent. They had Hall of Famers across the board, and they just gave us a lot of trouble. Now, I will say this in defense of our coaches. We had planned on lining up in a two-tight end offense and trying to balance out that 46, Mm. and Lynn Dawson blew his knee out the first series of the game and we didn't have another tight end, so our whole game plan had to change and uh, it just didn't work the same as what we thought it would do with two tight ends.
0: And I, I also uh, saw a notice uh, about the reference to uh, when they looked at the film in the offseason, as if you didn't feel bad enough, 31 dropbacks in that game and there was 29 knockdowns in that game in terms of how hard, I mean, you got hit like Chuck Wepner in that. I mean, just, you know, Ali and Wepner in that <laughs> in terms of the punishment that you took in that game from Denton, and Singletary and the rest of them. Holy yeah, cow. They
1: were coming from all kinds of different directions. and uh, oh, just, just part of the game.
0: Oh, it, it, it certainly was then, particularly for that one year with uh, with the bears, uh, your career down the stretch of your career and, and, coaching changes once again you saw multiple coaching changes and uh actually i know there's a story that i think you can relate that uh, i once again the reference you knew it was over or you knew maybe it's close to being over at this point uh a little bit of a uh an exchange you had with bruce smith (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was very humorous steve
1: yeah bruce bruce was a young player in buffalo and uh really talented guy and I was uh, playing against him in, in uh, Foxborough, and he got apparently knocked me down somebody knocked me down I don't know if it was him or not but he came over to me and extended his hand and he said are you okay Mr. Grogan <laughs> and I knew I was getting old when the younger players were calling me Mr. so it was very polite of him but he he could have just stayed away from me the rest of the game if he could, if he really wanted to be nice, but he didn't. <laughs>
0: exactly, and uh, that was uh, it. Was time at uh, what at thirty-eight as you, you stepped aside uh, from your your career in the NFL, and not surprisingly, Steve, I saw where your your primary interest at that time, uh, getting out of football, was your hopes to get into coaching, but it it proved to be difficult, you know, 38 and what you were going to have to go through at that time in terms of climbing the ladder.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, you know, my dad coached, my brother coached, my uncle coached. I always planned on coaching and, uh, interviewed for a couple of college jobs and was told that, uh, I needed experience. I needed to go back to the high school level and get some experience. And at 38 years of age, uh, I just didn't feel like I was ready to do that. Um, and then I tried to interview with Bill Parcells who had been with the Patriots uh, when I was playing, he was our linebacker coach. And then when Pete Carroll got the job, I tried to get an interview with him and they already had their own guys to do the job. So I, I decided that coaching wasn't in my future unless it was, uh, my kids and, and, uh, that's pretty much the only coaching I ever got to do. Mm.
0: And uh, your, your your three boys, uh, Tate, uh, who was – I believe he was in the service for a while. was in the Air Force. Uh, yeah, he's
1: still in the Air Force. He's a major.
0: A, a major in the Air Force. Uh, Tyler, who I just spoke to this afternoon, his point is full disclosure. Uh, he is running – just to, to give us uh, the insight, there was a, a business opportunity that uh, proved fortuitous a little over a quarter century ago that has linked your name with one of the iconic names of – not just New England, but all of sports with the great, the great champ, the heavyweight champion.
1: Yeah. Rocky Marciano's the boxer's brother, Peter, owned a sporting good business for a number of years. Uh, and then he sold it to another gentleman from Marshfield who's was having some problems and contacted me. And, and I figured it was five minutes from the house and the kids could, could work and learn. And, um, so I decided to, to buy the business from him and see how it would go for five years. And that was 27 years ago. And we're mm. still paying the bills and keeping the door open. Mm.
2: In,
0: in, in, indeed. And indeed. I enjoyed it.
1: I enjoyed it a lot. Being around coaches. Yeah. in that sporting good Teams. field uh, was kind of like coaching. in its mm. own way. Mm.
0: In, in, indeed. And being very close, uh, close uh, to uh, the, the, the Patriots. I, I heard one incident, just to prove that uh, it never goes away, particularly when you're talking Patriots, Raiders. And of course, now it's become uh, roughing the passer, tuck rule. Even you can be all the way over to Mexico City and you can be getting heckled up from what I understand.
1: <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, that could happen. Um, I went down there a couple of years ago for the NFL when the uh, Patriots played the Raiders down there. and. Um, Boy, they, the Mexicans know a lot about the NFL, and they know a lot about <laughs> the Raiders. And um, <laughs> I used to have people come in the store after that tuck rule thing and say, boy, you must feel vindicated. Finally got the Raiders. And I said, you know what? The fans are vindicated now, but we still got screwed out of a chance to, to possibly play in the Super Bowl. So I will never feel vindicated.
0: <laughs> it, it, ab- absolutely. That's, that's one that, uh, that just uh... – that just doesn't go away. Nope. Uh, no, no, it, it, it indeed. Unfortunately, you you personified toughness, and uh, I think one of the the key points to make. And I think uh, I'm my full disclosure because I always say because I'm old, Steve. I just uh, actually hit a big number that I will shall remain nameless. But my dad was one of those old uh, New England Giant fans, and he was a Giants fan. And I started watching the Giants and Fran talking in front of the TV. Yeah. So Phil Simms is. You know, kind of my all time uh, quarterback. And, you know, I think of the parallels between the two of you, but really one thing that really comes to mind, and I would say that I'll venture to say this is an invaluable asset for a quarterback, and that is to have a certain mentality that engenders and you interact with the team in such a way, particularly your offense, but particularly your offensive line. And there's so many quotes that I found about guys that you played with on the offensive line, let alone skill position guys, that talked about the great respect that they had for you. That's all about you, and, you know, kind of puts them in a position where maybe they're going to go the extra mile for that guy when he's back there, and that was certainly a big part of your career.
1: That's very kind of them to to say nice things. I always uh, felt like I was a football player just like them. I didn't want special uh, – Treatment from anybody. I, if I had to get hit, I'd get hit. If I have to die for a first down, I'll die for a first down. If I have to take a hit, hanging on the ball in the pocket, I'd do that because I knew those guys were giving it every ounce of their being to protect me, and uh, and I I wanted to give everything I could to them. So, <laughs> it worked both ways.
0: No, in, in, indeed, indeed, the case. Uh, you know, big big part of. Uh of uh, the, your, your makeup, uh, your temperament, your makeup, your demeanor, your leadership. I always think back. It's not often. I, lo- I love to be able to ask these questions that I never get to ask, but are you familiar with the movie? W- one of my favorite sports movies is North Dallas 40.
2: And, oh, absolutely, uh, yep. it,
0: it, h- How much truth is there in the huddle when they're going down? The, they, when they're making that drive at the end of the game and there's bickering in the huddle and he's – and Mac Davis, who just passed away, is settling him down. Was there a little bit more truth to that? Than, was that more truth than fiction in that movie?
1: Uh, it happens occasionally or it happened occasionally to me, mm. not a lot. Mm. There were times when, when you had to kind of calm people down mm. and that's just the job of being the leader, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You have um, to have that calming effect. You have, to
1: have, you have to not be afraid to tell people something they may not want to hear. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly. In a, in a, in a given situation, you, you, you've stayed close to Foxborough obviously and uh, you've, between uh, Kansas and uh, having time with, with, uh, spent with your family there and, and, and your folks. Uh, but you were really a, a Patriots fan for a lot. I believe you had season tickets. You really enjoyed I mean, what's it like as the face of the franchise for 16 years to see what has happened to the Patriots over the past two decades? It must be astounding to you.
1: Well, it was, and, and I think if you talk to any of the older players, the success they've had over there has trickled down to us. People want to be around the Patriots and a lot of the young guys just don't have the time or inclination to, to get out with the public. So we, we picked up a lot of things uh, over the years because of the fact that we were former Patriots, even though we didn't have the Super Bowl successes that that a lot of those guys had. Hmm. Um, And then just, you know, within the last, three or four years, uh, the kid wearing number 12 with the name of Brady, they, <laughs> they, they've lost track of who I was. <laughs> you know, This as, as the crowds got older, uh, younger, uh, people say, oh, that's Steve Brogan. And they, they go, who?
2: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> it was time for me to, to get back out here and be around mom and dad uh, with the time they have left. So that was special.
0: No, it's, it's, it's great that uh, I know you cherish those, those moments. It's great that, great that you have them and you have that, that opportunity yeah. and, uh, to be, be able to savor that. Uh, Brady, just a few uh, questions that are kind of wrapping up here that I've just been thinking about. Uh, any doubt to Steve Grogan that Tom Brady is the best ever? That, that's a raging debate in football. People, the old timers say other, other names factor in. Montana, does How does Steve Grogan feel?
1: Brady, by a long shot in my opinion, is the best ever. Okay. And to continue to play at age 43, that makes him even better. So um, I don't think there's any argument about that one.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Just to give the tale of the tape, Grogan, fifth-round pick, Brady is sixth, about the same size. He had Bledsoe. You had Plunkett ahead of you. Uh, You ended up marrying your college girlfriend, and he's got the supermodel. So, you know, relatively equal.
1: Yeah, the only difference between us is really the, the the women in our lives. So his wife's making twice as much as he's making, and that's my right. wife's spending twice as much as I'm making. So, no, don't tell her I said that, please. That's right. <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll strike that from the permanent record here, counselor. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Thank Can you. I approach the bench? Yeah, that, that, that's right. Spend it twice as much. <laughs> And, yeah, that's good. That's very good with, uh, you, know, the, you know, the supermodel. He could be a stay-at-home dad when you're married to Giselle, you know?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that would be that'd be no problem whatsoever. And talking about interesting how this has all evolved over two decades, Steve, talking about the, the renaissance now of the running quarterback and the fact that you're enjoying that. But, you know, everybody thinks, I always say that, you know, the, the old saying there's nothing new under the sun, but you were really running RPO to really to, to to coin the phrase now everybody talks about the RPO over the last decade or whatever but a lot of what you did with the patriots was RPO uh, type of offensive uh, theory
1: some of it was yeah i think yeah. it's it's far more uh, to in today's game than it was during our games but mm-hmm. um, nothing really nobody's ever really come up with anything totally different in football it just yeah. kind of recycles itself it'll mm-hmm. disappear for a while and then somebody will bring it back and try um, mm-hmm. it all over again and if they have success then mm-hmm. everybody copies them and and uh, that goes on for a while until somebody else recycles some new defense or some new offense and then they start over again
0: and the current quarterback for the Patriots uh, he's had his struggles recently started off well this year uh, Cam Newton, uh, once again, there's, there's a guy, you know, it's like welcome back to uh, uh, Steve Grogan in, in terms of a guy that's a threat to run. You must, uh, once again, you see some familiarity, I'm sure, if you're watching any of the Patriots games with uh, Cam Newton and his ability to win with his legs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's a talented athlete, uh, throws the ball well, runs, runs well, and he's huge for a quarterback. Hmm. So um, you take advantage of everybody's abilities, and that's that's what the Patriots tried to do early with him. I, I hadn't seen him do it much lately, but uh, he can still run when he needs to. Mm-hmm.
2: In, in, indeed.
0: Indeed the case. And uh, also uh, just wanted to give due here just a, a couple of other points. Uh, we talked about your offensive line. And once again, you know, kids go back and take a look at the films. You had some great weapons during the, the, the height of your career. I mean, yeah. was there a, better tight end. I mean, you know, Howard Cosell gave him the all-world label early on, but Russ yeah. Francis was pretty much all-world when you consider the athletic specimen what he brought to that position, Steve.
1: No question. It was uh, Russ. Great talent. And then we, we let him get away to the, to the uh, 49ers. And uh, he had a pretty good career out there and then came back to us for a couple of years late in the 80s. Hmm. Stanley Morgan, uh, yep. Harold Jackson and Irving Fryer were hmm. three of the best I played with and Stanley I think is one of the best that ever played the game and I'm still curious as to why he has not even been nominated for the Hall of Fame uh, Right. averaging almost 20 yards a catch for 14 years or 15 years however long he, he was there um, you would think that would warrant at least some discussion about Hall
0: of Fame material. And one of those, really, the tragic references in sports was a real tragedy. Another one of your targets, I went back and I saw you hook up with him a number of times. Darryl Stingley was just such a a tragedy.
1: Darryl was a talented individual. He was a leader on the team. Always had a smile on his face. Um, And to see him have his career ended like that in a preseason game that was uh, hit, that was not necessary. Um, I just, uh, it's hard to live with that sometimes.
0: Yeah. Really really tough. Uh, final final uh, words here as we we, uh, we wrap up. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the late Nick Cofano who was such a gentleman, I got to know him, interviewed him actually that same Patriots book that I interviewed you and- Yeah, Richard he was a great Ron. guy was just a great guy. I got to know him around the press box at Fenway a little bit. But he did an article. I think this one's going to live as long as there's the Internet. When people, If anybody's curious about Steve Grogan, he came up with something called GTM, the Grogan Toughness Meter.
1: And uh, he, did,
0: he did a piece in The Globe in 2003, and I quote, Five knee surgeries, a screw in his leg when the tip of the fibula snapped when you t- attempted to come back and practice. Two ruptured discs in the neck, which you played with for a season and a half. Broken left hand, which was no problem, just hand off with your right hand. No big deal. Uh, Separated shoulders twice on each side. You had a reattachment of the tendon in your throwing uh, throwing shoulder. And uh, a number of at least, what, three concussions and somehow still standing. And once again, the game then, the game now, you must think you're looking at 7-on-7 seven seven when you watch the game today, Steve.
1: Yeah, it's uh, wow. It's all in the air right now. Hmm. Um, different game than I played. As I said before, I love the running game. Offensive linemen love to block for the running game. Um, but it, the fans love the, the high scores and the, the fast movements of the passing game, so I don't think you'll ever see the running game really come back a whole lot.
0: Not not, uh, not to, uh, to that level. And uh, generally, I wrap up with a quote, and I think you're going to like what I have to say here. Uh, hi- and here it is. I've got actually two quotes from this same gentleman whose name has come up a couple of times here. And uh, here was his comment about uh, when Steve Grogan became, just to give us some perspective here, um, Steve Grogan becoming the starting quarterback of the Patriots back in 1975. I think I sensed we were really starting to go somewhere When Steve Grogan came in, he added that extra dimension we needed on offense, that little coolness that we're going to do it and we can make it happen. A quarterback needs to supply that to a team. That cool-headedness needs to be supplied to a team. And the other quote, same gentleman, said simply, toughest player that I ever played with. Both quotes attributed to John Hanna.
1: Yeah. That's very kind to John because he he's the same exact kind of player I, I am. Um, he, he demanded respect in the in the locker room and in the huddle, and uh, nobody ever practiced harder, played harder than John Hanna did. So uh, that's quite a quite a tribute coming from him.
0: Well, he was uh, the face of the Patriots, and as he's mentioned, a lot of people don't remember. We're going to do our best to bring you back,
2: <laughs> Steve Brogan. We're,
0: we're, we're, we're doing all we can here today, and we really appreciate you coming on to join us. We just wish you were here live having uh, well, not a bowl of a chowder, soup. but a soup.
1: I'd have a, they've got some great soup there. Oh, I'm telling you, beef stew is, is really good too, so I've had that there.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to be, we're going to be enjoying our post game meal here, uh, Steve. And uh, we you're want good. to thank you. Thank you so much for the time, for joining us here today. We'll try to bail you out for that comment late about, you know, with your wife. We'll try to bail yeah, you out the best we you. can.
1: Yeah, I was just kidding. I hope she knows that. <laughs> no, no I, 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 think, I, think, I think you're
0: on solid ground there. There but, you go. Uh, but we re- really appreciate the time today here. Yeah, you boy. played well on the games people play as we knew you would with your leadership ability. And uh, your great uh, your great NFL career and having a chance to uh, remember and celebrate it. All the best, Steve.
1: Been fun talking about all the old times. Don't get to do that much anymore. So thank you.
0: Okay, great Francis, job. Francis, open over the middle. Thanks, Steve. You got it. Okay, Steve Grogan, our guest here today on the games people play, and once again uh, we are close to uh, his adopted home here Mansfield, and I've got my. Grogan Marciano's Sporting Goods uh, t-shirt on here, which is uh, right down the street here on North Main Street. And uh, once again, uh, thanks as always to my executive producer, Andy Bernstein. We also have our head of security, Ralph Mondano, with us here today. You know, we don't leave home without Ralph. He's, he's our American Express uh, head of security. Thank you to John Spezio and everybody here at Geno's. Geno's is a Mansfield institution, great food and spirits, established in 1981. Come down and try the chowder. Come down and try the award-winning soup. Come down and try the beef. Steve Grogan just recommended the beef stew. But great food, sports spirits, kino They got it all right here at Geno's at uh, 407 to 411 North Main Street, our home away from home here today for the games people play. So for Andy Bernstein and the rest of the Eyewitness News team, this is Bernie Corbett saying play the game
2: well, everyone.